This podcast is supported by Red Energy, powered by the mighty Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Red is 100% Australian owned and local. Phone 131 806. Bruce's wife would have had a huge say in this. She is a massive influence on every decision he makes. And thank the Lord, because she's a smart, sensible woman who really understands the game, understands his place in the game, and would be advising him all the way. Dad, drum roll. I know who you're going to say. Aussie, Australian. <laughs> Can you believe I'm about to say Nicole Kidman? Oh, no, I was going to say Margot Robbie. I thought no, her was I thought Nicole Kidman in Louis Vuitton looked absolutely beautiful. I wish I had seen her walk the red carpet. I personally think the minister involved has to step up and stand down, at least temporarily, until this story is investigated properly. Smile without using your eyes. Then raise your eyebrows and then stop smiling. <laughs> you look like a stunned mother. <laughs> most ridiculous thing I have ever heard. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. And welcome everybody to episode 162 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Caroline Wilson. I'm here with my dear friend, fellow podcaster and bookseller, Corrie Perkin. G'day, Corrie. Yay, welcome back, Caro. It's been a while. We've both, well, we planned, we each planned a break. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But it's wonderful to be talking to you all live again from the studio. Thanks, of course, to Red Energy, our podcast supporter, 100% Australian Electricity and Gas and Prince Wine Store, of course. We have our friend Miles from Prince joining us, Corrie to take part in the cocktail cabinet. Oh, new friends to drink with, Caro. Um, I've been on the north coast of New, Th- New South Wales, but I just want to mention um, the huge reaction we had to our wonderful special guest last week, Heather Hewitt. Hey, Jules, 187 via Instagram. Such a fabulous listen and so very topical. Thanks so much, ladies. I grew up in Melbourne, but Perth is now home. The weather is so much better. Well, ain't that the truth as we sit here in what is meant to be the warmest, most beautiful month? In Melbourne. Which month would that be? It's freezing. (laughs) Um, Certainly not the summer. Coldest in 19 years. Now, to Susie Eastman1956 on Instagram, where does she find Aleppo chilli flakes? If you ask my daughter Clementine, they're in every recipe she basically ever cooks. The Grizzlewitz has some, Corrie. It's not not Grizzlewitz, Carol. That wonderful place that sells all the spices. Gaverst House. Gaverst House. I practiced. Okay, Gaverst House. Uh, If you would like to ever be a sponsor of this program, Gaverst House, please don't be offended by the fact that my co-host can never pronounce your name. Hey, listen, the amount of money I've spent at that place over the years. Not to mention the mentions. It's up there with Mr. (laughs) You-Know-Who from the Olive Oil Company. I absolutely love that place. Anyway, that's where you can get them. Vic Market sells them, Paran Market sells them, South Melbourne Market. But they are that cut above. I'm sure that there are other places as well. We'll come back to you on that. Um, Listener A, who wants to be anonymous, just wants to remind us all to trust their bodies and seek medical advice for any unusual tweaks or aches. She's had a good prognosis after being diagnosed with ovarian cancer last year, fortunately diagnosed and treated early. When visiting her oncologist last week, she was told that they're now starting to see people who had delayed seeing their doctors during COVID-19 and their outlook was not so good. I did all that 
last month, as you know, or the start of this month. So and important. I'm, I'm actually having a mammogram today. I mean, all those things. I'm, I'm exactly that person to listener A who got, got in touch with us. And um, yes, I completely understand. And I'm really glad that your prognosis was good. Road Thompson via Instagram, just to, you know, go from the sublime to the ridiculous. Good luck trying to cancel Foxtel. She's been trying since Christmas. Goodness me, Whoa. it can't be that difficult, surely. Have you have you cancelled yet? Have you bailed out of well, Foxtel? Came in handy last night, Corey. The rerun of the you know what was on, and I'm sure you were watching as well. The Globes. I didn't watch it last oh, night. I, I watched it. I watched it during the day a bit on my telephone. I watched and the whole late, thing. Later on, I will be doing my Brownlow count on the fashions. You know how I love a Brownlow count on fashions. Well, I might have a crush related to it. I've got a fabulous recipe. I went and saw a film during my North Coast sojourn, which I want to talk to you about. You've got a fabulous new book by Sophie Laguna, and um, yeah, all I can say is that. Um, Good. The the girl, the two women who hosted Tina Fey and yes, who were on opposite sides of the country. Um, Polar. What's her name? Amy Polar. Amy Polar. Look, brave is all I can say because seriously, talk about a series of mishaps. Talk about weird. Watching Hollywood superstars in their home in flannelette tops. I mean, seriously. One thing we love about celebrities, we want them to be celebrities. We don't want too much charity. We don't much want too much worthiness and do good. We want some really silly behaviour. And when they're not sitting around drinking champagne, getting... I didn't mind seeing the kids. I love the ones when they won and the kids came and embraced them. I I thought that was rather personal. It was very weird, though. My feeling about that, I almost made this a grumpy, but I thought, oh, come on, there's so much to be grumpy about What about the first winner when you started talking? (laughs) It was no sound. No, I was a bit agitated and I thought, couldn't they have just postponed the Golden Globes? It's not a huge deal to postpone them, but no, they want to be in before the Academy Awards. Caro, there was lots of love on Instagram a couple of weeks ago for your yours and my discussion about Maggie O'Farrell's books. And I know that on your mini break, you've um, been ploughing through a couple more. But um, there was uh, one comment from the ladies room five who said, the hand that first held mine, also by Maggie O'Farrell, is an absolute page turner, also loved Hamnet. I think you've been doing the hand that f- that first held mine. I think the ladies room five might be related to Anna from the op shop. Oh, well, I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> I think it might be her sister, Hi, Julie. <laughs> the hand that first held mine, I read on the break. It is just a beautiful story. And Caro, yeah. also on Instagram, joe underscore s underscore 28, said, totally agree, Corrie, about the Mornington Peninsula quarantine station. I've been saying this for ages. Remember I raised that a couple of years ago as a, as a possible opportunity to, to put the unwell folk who arrive here from international climbs, send them down there, do a makeover of what are existing buildings and structures and put them all down there and so they can have fresh air and not be stuck in a 14-storey hotel room with aircon swirling around spreading the COVID virus. Pardon the pun, but I'm afraid that ship might have sailed. <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen now. But it, it, it would have been a wonderful experiment. Corrie, this story is spiralling out of control, the Canberra story involving... Well, sexual assault allegations and now an historic rape allegation that emerged over the weekend um, against a current federal minister. Everyone seems to know who it is. No one's prepared to say it. Will 
he be named in Parliament. There's a sort of suggestion that there's a cloud over every male Cabinet Minister. Well, I don't think every male, but certainly the older ones, because it is an historic allegation dating back to the late 1980s, um, before the minister involved was the alleged minister was involved in politics. Um, there's been calls for a legal investigation into these allegations, citing it as a very serious integrity issue for the Cabinet. I personally think the minister involved has to step up and stand down, at least temporarily, until this story is investigated properly. Obviously, it has a tragic ending already. The body of a 49-year-old woman found in Adelaide late last year is the woman who has made these allegations, which occurred when she was a teenager. This is getting really, really difficult for the it's, Prime Minister, isn't it? It is, Caro. And obviously a tragic, tragic a, story. A couple, a couple of notes I made last night after um, watching Malcolm Turnbull, who said the same thing as you actually on 7.30. So we're recording this on Tuesday. This is a fast-moving story. So by the time Potties listened to this, it could have overtaken what we're saying. But... Uh, on Monday night, he spoke with Laura Tingle, the former Prime Minister, and said that he also agreed that the Minister should stand forward for this particular reason, that the shroud of of uh, speculation is really styming uh, the government, and it's the right thing to do. And I just made a couple of notes, Caro. First of all, we should preface all of this by saying that everybody... Um, uh, there's a presumption of innocence here until proven guilty. And in fact, that's part of the foundation. It's a cornerstone of Australian law. And of course, it's a human rights condition by the International Convention. And we acknowledge that. But having said that, um, the Prime Minister has, has um, I, th- I feel, been sort of confused and really thrown off by um, allegations of the last three weeks, which of course started with Brittany Higgins who was allegedly raped in a minister's office a couple of years ago. Um, The Prime Minister says, uh, the police are looking into this matter, this is the historic rape, and I cannot comment on that. And yet one of his ministers, and Carol, all parliamentarians are lawmakers. So we're talking about a lawmaker who has allegedly committed a crime a terrible crime, not shoplifting, a terrible crime. So there's this sort of cloud of allegation that's completely enshrouded the government. And of course, the operational day-to-day of the government is completely stymied at the moment. Yesterday, for example, very, very important after two years, very important handing down of the Royal Commission into aged care. This should have been a significant moment. Indeed, you know, it was. But once again, at the press conference for this, uh, questions turned again to the, uh, the the allegations against the minister who is sitting around the cabinet table. And just on the aged care findings, journalists weren't even given a chance to read the report. Half the an hour. The conference was called with half an hour's notice. And obviously, journos who had been covering this story and covering it for a long time, and in fact, maybe some of them having led to this Royal Commission, turned up. But, you know, today in Victoria, there's a release of a mental health Royal Commission but there's a lockup. I mean, wh- why was there no lockup? Why weren't journos given the chance before they went to talk to interview the Prime Minister and the Health Minister Greg Hunt? That was just extraordinary. It is. It's amazing. It's uh, sorry uh, to um, interrupt. No, you. no, not at all. Uh, you know, uh, Laura Tingle on Late Night Live with Philip Adams was saying exactly your point, Caro, and she said it's so disrespectful to journalists and also 
ergo the public, that journalists were given an eight-volume report half an hour before the press conference, and the Prime Minister says, any questions? Now, thank God for Anne Conley, who's the ABC reporter, who for a couple of years longer has been like a dog with a bone on this issue, and she is the one who's broken so many of these tragic and terrible stories about what's happening in the um, aged care industry. So thank God Anne Conley was there and really took it up to the Prime Minister, and I thought his responses, the way he uh, interacted with her was um, kind of old Scott Morrison. You know how I always say to you that he's got this passive aggressive element about him. Yep. He was smiling at some point, snarling at her and, and, and being quite snippy and quite, I think, disrespectful. And then, and then you go back to Brittany Higgins, who we discussed last week and who again is just now it seems determined to have her case pursued. You just find it so impossible to to believe that three other ministers knew, people in the office just around the corner from his knew, his staffers knew, and yet the Prime Minister didn't know. It, it just doesn't wash with me. And, if, and if, it, if it is true that he didn't know, then this is just a, an appalling an appalling indictment well, is there on leadership a, is, in our country and it, in Canberra. Correct. And, and you know, maybe also some could argue, um, you know, with regard the Daniel Andrews government as well here in Victoria, particularly in the handling of the pandemic. But is there a culture of don't ask, don't tell at this highest level of government? This is the federal government. If you're a CEO, now just imagine if you're a CEO of a company and you're, you, ha- you, you have a, a, a human heart... <laughs> Right, because this is a this is a terrible human drama, of and and we know for a fact that this all of this discussion over the last three weeks, the historic rape uh, in context and the suicide that followed, or uh, that, that came last year, um, the Brittany Higgins, we know that this is stirring up lots and lots of emotions among people who have felt that they have also been victims of rape, or indeed it's proven that they're being. I mean, this is a human story. If you were the CEO of a company, you would want to know this. You would be crawling all over it, and you would. Hopefully you would appoint like-minded men and women as your middle managers and senior managers who also felt the same way, who had the same sense of humanity. So where are all the ministers? Where are all the advisors to the Prime Minister? Why is nobody standing up saying, we need to tell the Prime Minister this? Sam Maiden had a really interesting, um, she she did an, um, an interview with the party room the other day, um, I mean, don't get her started on trying to contact Peter Dutton's office for a comment. But she talked about um, who knew. First of all, there was her quest. She broke the story originally about Brittany Higgins. There was her questions to the Prime Minister's office the weekend before the story broke. So there were people in the PM's office who knew. Linda Reynolds, she knew about it from 2019. Michaela Cash knew about it from February 5. The Speaker of the House of Reps, Department of Parliamentary Services, there were staff there who knew. The, the federal the AFP Commissioner and the police knew. Peter Dutton knew about this on February 11. Why didn't Peter Dutton go and knock on well, the door he, of the he Prime Minister? He feels it's a bit of a he said, she said situation, which was a really unfortunate comment, I thought, from Peter Dutton. And again, the lack of communication to the PM, to the top man, if it happened in a business and a CEO was kept in the dark or a chairman, you'd be absolutely ropeable. And I can't quite that's why I find it incredibly hard to believe. And punctuating the whole story has been these ongoing allegations, more than the, the really serious ones of sexual assault and harassment. But just, you know, the boys club that has existed for so long in Canberra. And, you know, you think when this story, you know, when it all first began with Louise Milligan last year, 
or this most recent spate of allegations, just about bad behaviour. And she spoke about two specific ministers then. Um, was it Tudge and Porter? Yeah, yes, Christian um, Porter. You know, there was all the, oh, this is just a disgrace. It's an attack on the government. What about Labor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Just a complete red herring that had nothing to do oh, with the allegations the, Look, the P- I agree, Caro. The PM has to address what I would suggest is institutionalised sexual discrimination in his office. And, you know, this is not to say that it doesn't exist in the ALP as well. Although look at, look at the senior leadership of the ALP. You know, you have three prominent women there in, in positions of authority. So Christine there is an allegation against a Labor, an historic there, there allegation is. against a Labor yes. parliamentarian as well? Correct. Sarah Henderson, uh, the, the Victorian Liberal Senator, has brought this forward. Uh, as I understand it, there are, there are investigations and other people have received this email in the past. I'm not sure whether it's been buried or whether it, it, there were investigations and it's been found to just have no legs on it. I'm not sure, but watch this space. It's an amazing story, Caro, and it, it, it is affecting government. It is it is really, really um, paralysing the Morrison government. And I think both sides of the House should really be quite concerned about how, how events are unfolding in the next few days. Now, in a more, um, well, it's not really a local story. I mean, he lives in South Australia, but he's been part of our lives for decades. Bruce McAvaney retired from football commentary over the last few days. It was a bit of a bombshell, even though he stepped away from tennis. Did you have any idea? Oh, well, look, I knew that he was looking towards doing less and less. I didn't, I, I thought he would have another year or two. I did. I mean, I thought last year was really tough for most of the time. He was sort of the special person in a studio separately from everybody else, commenting at the end of the game and during games and doing the special comments, but not from the actual game. Obviously, he called the grand final. Um, look, he, he's just such a wonderful person. I'm really glad he hasn't walked away completely. I mean, we had the races on on Saturday up in um, up on the north coast, and there he was hosting that. And obviously, and he's he gonna, loves. He's going to continue it, yeah. to work with the turf. He's going to continue to cover Olympic games. Certainly, if they go on this year, he'll be at Tokyo. But um, so, Caro, he um, Bruce McAvaney um, was diagnosed with leukemia a couple of years ago, and. Um, to his absolute credit, kept working. And I think he has said to friends it kept him sane and really focused, which is great. Work can often do that. But how is his health now? And do you think health has had something to do with it or, or maybe a reflection on where what my life priorities are? I think it's just, um, I think he's, he's managing his health situation and there's no suggestion that that has had anything to do with this. He's going to be 68 this year. He always, I know because he's such a perfectionist and he's such a hard worker and nobody works harder on their research than Bruce. As you know, I work with him. I've worked with him a lot over the years, but we worked together on Talking Footy for, gee, three years. Mm. Um, I just think he was determined to go out on top and not go out with people saying, come on, Bruce, you know, you're getting a bit, you know, you're making mistakes and getting a bit old. And he's done it before that has happened. Um, I think it's interesting, you know, people think that so much research goes into who's going to replace and who's going to be the new face of footy for Channel 7 and, there's been, you know, there's been so many names thrown into the ring and so many great contenders. But in the end, I think less thought goes into this than you'd actually think mm. and I think um, it's often very last minute. I mean, two great callers, Anthony Hudson and Jared Waitley, aren't, can't even come into the frame because they're both um, contracted to other networks. Um, look, I 
I think Annie, Bruce's wife, would have had a huge say in this. She is a massive influence on every decision he makes. And thank the Lord, because she's a smart, sensible woman who really understands the game, understands his place in the game, and would be advising him all the way. And I think just living in South Australia too, that decision to go home, bring up their children there, be with family. They had elderly parents at the time. I think... um, it's tough, you know, all the travel. It yeah. wears you down. But then again, that decision may have given Bruce an extra couple of years in the gig, renewed energy and a sense of home, even though he was travelling a lot. But look, Caro, I'm, you know, I will miss him terribly. Um, <laughs> we're not, I won't say that we've grown up with Bruce because we're not that much younger than him, but um, he's a friend of yours and mine, a colleague and so on. And But maybe there is a way forward that Mike Sheehan has shown and also, dare I say, you since you left full-time football writing for The Age, that we can have these wise tribal elders or these commentators who go on to new positions um, of uh, still with an authority voice, still with a contact book that you'd die for and always able to talk to people at the drop of a hat, including you over summer when we ran into a certain coach on the walking track, and <laughs> and before we'd even before five minutes had passed, you'd organised to have a coffee with him. <laughs> well, he asked me for coffee. I've, I've probably followed up very very happily. No, look, the thing about some people are just part of our lives, and there's something about commentators, even more, you know, the TV and radio, but particularly TV, that you just feel you know them. Oh, and Mike and, Williams, like the voice, I can still hear him calling in my head. Yeah, and and, and, and Bruce's voice will be part of. I mean, you know, people. At the moment, it's Cyril and delicious. Mm. But yeah, I, I, look, Bruce is, is a is a friend of mine. I went to his fiftieth. I went to his sixtieth. Um, Brendan and I have really enjoyed his company over the years. Um, particularly me through working with him. What you see is completely what you get. He is the most enthusiastic, interesting. If you want to be stuck at a bar or a dinner with someone, please make it Bruce. He's just so, and he's so lovely and is a very generous performer. He wants you to be as good as him. That's very true. Um, And, you know, going particularly, I noticed at his 60th, you know, there were media people there, obviously. Um, But there was mainly, it was just old friends, close friends. You know how you sort of go, gee, that's really interesting. I mean, we'd made the trip over to Adelaide for it with um, our friends Kate and Ron Dewhurst. Ron is Bruce's great mate through athletics, but um, which obviously is his absolute passion. But um, it was so interesting how many were just friends from their kids' schools. I don't know. It was just a really lovely. He did do a very funny mock call um, as part of his speech. But, yeah, no, he's he's just a gem. And in James Brayshaw looks like he's going to be the man to replace him. Hamish McLaughlin will probably be disappointed, as will Brian Taylor. But they've obviously got very key roles in other parts of the there are network. A few, there are a few clever female commentators out there too I wouldn't mind seeing get the gig. Well, Are we ready for that in 2021? Well, the only really full-time footy caller, as opposed to special comments person, is Kelly Underwood. And um, Channel 10 sort of had a chance to continue to promote her, but they got cold feet. So Kelly's now calling on Fox footy, mainly women's footy, and obviously the ABC she calls. She calls AFL. But um, 
And Daisy Pearce has been a wonderful special comments addition to the Channel 7 team and, you know, long, long may she grow. But, yeah, it is. there is a sense of sadness. And as he said, you know, when Richmond play Carlton on March 18, he will be climbing up a wall somewhere. And I think he probably <laughs> he probably really will be. I love that quote. I met him. I got to know him at the 1986 Edinburgh Commonwealth Games. How long ago is that? And you couldn't. Channel 10 didn't have the rights. He was a 10 reporter. But he was over there and he was stationed outside the... Um, the Commonwealth Games Stadium in Edinburgh and he was so respected that everybody was prepared to come out. Athletes, you know, people like Darren Clark, all the big names at the time, Debbie Flintoff King, to do interviews with him because it was Bruce. Mm. And that Says was 1986. A Says a lot. Now, Corrie. I'm grumpy, Caro. What are you grumpy about? I am grumpy about the fact that um, Prince Harry and um, Meghan, his wife Meghan, are... T- are receiving such a shellacking about this Oprah Winfrey interview next week uh, from the British press. Are they? Yes, they are. They've all, first of all, Prince Harry received a shellacking with the with uh, about the interview that he did with James Corden in LA, which took place on the top of an open double decker bus. You may not have seen it last week because you were on holidays, but it was light hearted. It was for the late late show. It was fun, um, and. The the Fleet Street, not that many of them are in Fleet Street these days. I don't know why I keep calling them the Fleet Street Press, but the Fleet Street Press said embarrassing load of piffle. And one of them said very ill-judged, um, 17 minutes too long. And, it, and the interview went for 17 minutes. And another person, another royal expert, um, I don't know what his first name is, Mr Fitzwilliam, said um, he compared it to, remember the 1987 TV game show, It's a Royal Knockout? Yeah. <laughs> Not one of the highlights. Was that of, Prince um, Edward's, one of his that ill-fated? Was one of Prince Ed- <laughs> Poor Prince Edward. That was the beginning and the end of his impresario career. But I cannot possibly put the interview that Harry did with James uh, up there with It's a Royal Knockout. That's just absurd. But what we have heard about the interview, which will go to air next Monday with Oprah Winfrey, Oprah Winfrey has told friends that she thinks the interview with Princess Harry and Meghan Markle Prince is... Harry. Pri- what did I say? Princess. It's oh. actually a man, but that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Although the British... Priests probably think he's behaving like a princess. That's oh, a, that's, that's a very sexist? sexist gag. I, I know. can't believe that came out of your mouth. I Would can't you? believe I called him princess. Um, prince Harry is the best interview that Oprah has ever conducted. That's what she said. Wow. So that will be really interesting. Did and you hear the excerpt um, about his mum? I did. Yeah. And Caro. I'm sorry, but I said this about a year or two when everybody was saying, I can't understand why they want to take their leave from the royal family. And I said, he was clearly very scarred, not just by his mother's death, but by the in the lead up to that. He was a young boy. Prince William probably had a different kind of reaction mechanism support network. And the other thing too is if you're Prince Harry and you're looking at Prince Andrew... It doesn't augur well for second siblings, male siblings, in the House of Windsor. Why wouldn't you say, I don't want the same life for my child and my wife as my mother had. I don't want this ending up in disaster. So, look, I'm looking forward to next week. That is a high, but I am grumpy about the British media just really going for that tabloid headline and calling it a disgrace. Yeah, I I think the the negative stuff always comes down to money and the fact they're still on the public purse to a large degree and if they're prepared to be independent, just be completely independent. But no, a worthy grumpy and as he said, he's very happy to have his wife by his side, which of course his mother didn't have when she was going through this. 
It's time for my favourite segment of the week, Corrie. <laughs> it's the cocktail cabinet for Prince Wine Store, bringing Melburnians the greatest wine in the world. Visit princewinestore.com.au. I tell you what, Carrie, there are a few potties who have probably come off Feb fast who are pretty excited about this segment today. Also, well, it's a gin and tonic deep dive, as my son would say. Um, I actually visited a fabulous gin distil- distillery on the north coast of New South Wales last week called Dukes. Um, D-U-K-E-S. There was a ruby red gin and a just your more common or garden gin. It was being sold in a lot of the um, bars and restaurants in the area. And they actually, um, at this distillery, which was in the middle of a, an industrial estate, but didn't stop us from having a very nice time. All their, their tonic of choice was Dr. Strangelove, the dirty tonic, the light tonic, the coastal tonic. Absolutely brilliant. And Miles Thompson from Prince, you're going to um, tell us about a special you've got going at the moment and a, and a wonderful gin that um, comes with Dr. Strange Strangelove light tonic. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Thanks for having me. Yeah, the Balcom gin, it's a gin by actually a couple of, uh, a winemaker and a friend of his, a little um, collaboration that they're doing. And they've always wanted to do a, a coastal style gin, so all the sort of, I guess, co- like foraged things like samphire and saltbush. They've got kelp, wild fennel. Um, oh wow! Like- Not only is Balcom coastal gin because I, I have tried it. Funnily enough, oh you have, oh great! It's but the the bottle itself is an addition to anyone's cocktail cabinet, isn't it? Because it's such a beautiful bottle. Oh look, I, I, I actually love all the bottling of, of spirits in particular, they, you know, from a wine industry perspective, the, the, you're, you're a bit restricted with what you can do or what people do in bottles, but with, with gins and spirits, it's really fantastic and the labels and, yeah, it's, it's got a great one too. So. Miles, you're talking to someone in Caroline Wilson who on a walk around Cornwall fell in love with a bottle of gin so much uh, because of its design rather than what was inside, she purchased it. We were walking with packs on our backs, mind you, but she, all she could keep saying was, this will look lovely on the cabinet at home. <laughs> and and the same thing, the same thing, it was Atlantic Bay. It was called Atlantic Bay and we'd walked through Atlantic Bay and it, again, it was made up of a lot of the botanicals from around the area. So, Miles, tell us before um, you tell us what we how we can buy this, uh, how do you serve it with lemon, with lime, with orange rind, mm. cucumber? What's the best way to have it? Yeah, look, I, the, the, I've had it a few times in sort of different with different tonics, and and really the one that works best with is the the Strange Love Light Tonic. It just sort of just really sort of pushes all those samphire kind of fennel, those really sort of coastal elements, um, sort of to the fore. It's really it's really perfect, really sort of enhances it. But the other one that, that's really good with it too is is the dirty tonic. I don't know if you've had that yes. from the Strange Love. Love the yeah, dirty that's tonic. Really fantastic. Yeah, me too. I'm actually a really big fan. So, um, but the, the, I think the, the light tonic's really good. It's a drier tonic. It doesn't have as much sugar in it as a lot of other tonics, and so it just really sort of pushes all those those lovely aromatics and those those coastal flavours forward. Yeah, it's really fantastic. Uh, that that would be sort of my pick. I don't even think you need any garnish with it to to be honest. Just a block of weiss and away you go. It. Oh, but there is something pretty, though. I, I was, uh, as I said to you earlier, Miles, intravenously dripping 
gin and tonic into my system over the summer. It seemed to be my, I don't know, I think Tony, your colleague from Prince, uh, was the one who inspired me before Christmas. But I did buy a couple of bottles of gin from Prince Wine Store, enjoyed them over summer. Tragically, nothing left in the bottle, but that's okay. But there is nothing prettier, I think, than a slice of lime in a gin and tonic. It really, I think you need the colour, don't you? Yeah, I do like lime. I, I always tend to prefer it over lemon. And it is nice to have that little sort of splash in it too. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. Now, my, fa- my cocktail of the summer was, in fact, sherry and tonic. I know it sounds odd, but Oh, I, you old girl, you. Look, at, no, but sherry and tonic is a is a, just a really good cocktail. It's, a, it's light and it has to be a certain type of sherry. So, Miles, what sherry should we be buying from Prince this week? Yeah, well, one of my favourite is, um, is the Guitares Colosseum. Um, and the Fino, they make the range of sherries Oloroso to the more heavy sort of oxidised styles, but the Fino is the lighter style, that really fresh, again, that really salty sort of style that you get nice and light. So uh, I love these wines. They've got wonderful uh, sort of these, these sherries. They have wonderful texture to them, but they're still very sort of light on their feet. And this is a brilliant sort of family producer. You know, they've been making uh, the sherries there for a couple of hundred years. And uh, a lot of the sherry you see coming out of Spain is often really large, almost sort of factory-style producers, and this is a much smaller family-owned business. And they just make really fantastic stuff. Really, every time I have their sherries, I'm always really impressed. Caro, can you explain how you uh, enjoyed or imbibed your sherry? So sherry, tonic, ice... I was just at a, a wonderful little pop-up restaurant in Queenscliff and it was one of their special, um, well, you could have the sherry on its own. But, yeah, sherry and tonic with a, a block of ice, nothing else. And what kind of colour is it? Must well, it's, well, sherry is Pretty? that lovely light, light brownie golden Yeah, so it looks a little bit like a ginger ale in, a, yes. in colour. Yeah, no. 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 Okay. <laughs> it's much... Miles, can you tell I'm just much, not going to be trying this? Much, much paler. But look, I, I think people need to go to Prince and or get online and try these. And Miles, you're going to tell us about um, deals they can get if they use the promo code M-E-S-S in capital letters at checkout online yeah. to receive a listener discount. Yeah, so look, when you when you go on the website, grab grab whatever you want to grab and then you'll be able to put in your, your M-E-S-S code and you get 10% off um, any of the of the still wines and sparkling wines that we have there. Um, just just so you know, there might be some things already discounted so it won't come off, but generally you'll get 10% off. And also I've got a, I just put a little pack together for, for um, the listeners, which is just a Balcom gin and a pack of, um, a four pack of Strange Love Tonic. Um, and that'll be up on the website. We've just got a little page that'll be the um, Don't Shoot the Messenger page, and you can log on to that. And um, oh. all the products that we do, uh, you know, all the, all, the, all, the, all the things we talk about um, will be up there. So you'll always be able to grab them whenever you sort of go to the website and have a look. And, Car- Car- and the Spanish um, Colisea our- Fino, Corrie, um, I think $23 on our website. So I, that is yep. an absolute bargain. I'm so excited we have our own page on the Prince Wine Store <laughs> website. That's right. Miles, oh, thank you so much for joining us on the cocktail cabinet today. Thank you for standing oh, in for Tony. We're, Tony was unable no to problem. come, but we loved having you on board, Miles. He's a busy man, I understand. <laughs> and that was Miles for the cocktail cabinet from Prince Wine Store, bringing Melburnians the greatest wine in the world. And remember, all you need to do is use the promo code MEWS, that's short for messenger in caps, to get on board and get a special listener discount. Visit princewinestore.com. 
www.radio.com.au. And now, Corrie, my crush of the week for Red Energy is, and look, call me old-fashioned, call me shallow, but I want to just give a shout-out, and she doesn't need it, to Jane Fonda. She won the Cecil B. DeMille Award at the Golden Globes um, this week. And, look, she did look a bit odd when she got up on stage. She looked amazing. Definitely her eyes looked strangely closer together. Her cheeks looked a little bit different. That's she, called plastic surgery, She Cara. is. She's an unbelievable Oh, performer. yeah, and she just she rocked the white tuxedo too. I loved her Not outfit. Not many, 80, 84, 83, 83-year-olds can do that. The, the best outfits really were the tuxedos. Well, I've, I've, I've well, got a best, which we'll talk about yes, later. hold on to that thought. But forget, forget the outfit. The body of work, I mean, that, that wonderful... Um, sitcom or series that, you know, recently aired on um, pay TV. Was it Frankie and... Frankie and Grace. Grace and Frankie. Frankie Grace and, and Grace. Frankie, whichever. What a great great series that was with mm. Lily Tomlin. I watched her on the Dolly Parton documentary last year. She was brilliant on that. Her performances over the years, she was absolutely beautiful. And, you know... And she's been an activist for a long time, Caro. First it was anti-Vietnam War back in the 70, early 70s. And then, of course, when she became a fitness guru, fitness fanatic and released to, all to of fund. that yeah aerobic activities which she which she used which she used to fund her activism but i thought that her speech was um it didn't go overboard on the do good stuff but it did make it clear that her absolute passion is the planet i mean quite a few other people did that um last night as well or the the golden globes night as well but um i thought she spoke so well she spoke with enormous grace she's had She's had a lot of marriages. She's had a lot of stuff go on in her personal life. She's made some really bad choices. But there she is, still standing on her own, strong, independent woman. And I thought that even Tina Fey and Amy Poehler looked really quite, you know, they they were really, every woman in the room Mm. or on the screen, because let's face it, they were on screens. (laughs) And look, it was a dog's breakfast. Let's not gild the lily. The Golden Globes were a dog's breakfast this year. But she brought a touch of class to that. And particularly when you look back at her recent performances, which have been great. She's done comedy. She's done drama. She's done so many. And Caro, she's still working. That's what's so Impressive Working and actor. Uh, yeah, and and really for women of our age or pe- women who are, who are getting on in their careers, it's always really encouraging to see other women who are older who are just still giving it a red hot go. She co-produced the is it Frankie and Grace or Grace and Frankie? I always get it Grace mixed and up. Frankie. Um, she co-produced that with Lily Tomlin, who also is in her eighties. I mean, it's just it's. Just fantastic! It's it's she's wonderful. I agree. Good I've crush. seen her. I've seen her in some brilliant European films over the last ten years. She comes in and she does bring a touch of style and a huge touch of class to everything. She's she does. Hollywood royalty. Remember the newsroom? Um, yeah. she was brilliant in uh, the newsroom. She was great as the as the um, newspaper proprietor or the yep. a network proprietor. And but yep. remember, one of my favourites was when she was so young and so beautiful, barefoot in the park with Robert Redford. Hysterical. She was like she's a natural comedian. She's, and I'm really glad they fantastic. had a lot of clips of barefoot in yeah, the park. Yeah, I loved that film so so much. So talk about red energy. Jane's got red energy. She's a oh, red energy kind of girl. And she wouldn't look out of place at the bridge table where I play bridge either with some of those ladies. She. <laughs> what do you mean in terms of? 
work? Oh, or? oh, just the hairdo and everything. No, I thought, look, she was very, very good. So that is my crush of the week for Red Energy. And now we're going to move on to book, screen and food. Corrie, do you want to kick off with a book? <clears throat> I'd love to, Cara. I know you've been reading a lot on your mini break. We'll hear more about that later. But there was one... It actually pe- wasn't a mini break. It was actually a break. Okay, okay. <laughs> a real break, a real holiday. I'm so used to saying mini break. Uh, I know. Here in lockdown in Melbourne. Um, the re- one reason I wanted to mention this today is... Um, because, in fact, the author is will be appearing this week on my bookshop's webinar series, so it's a bit of a plug for the shop. But also, more particularly, having finished this book a couple of weeks ago, I am so driven to share it with Potties because it is it is a truly remarkable Australian novel. It's called Infinite Splendours by Sophie Laguna. Sophie Laguna was uh, an actor uh, in when, in the early two thousands and. Um, she then went on to start writing children's fiction. She was highly successful, award-winning. What did she act in? I didn't I know think, she was an actor. I think Home and Away. Oh. Yeah, one of, the, one of those sorts of... This is Sophie Laguna who wrote The Choke. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, and then she went that. on. And then she went on after success with children's writing, she went on to write... She's now This is her fourth adult novel. Um, the Eye of the Sheep, which was her second, won the Miles Franklin Award a few years ago. No mean feat, as most Australian writers will tell you. Like, it's a really coveted award. And then, of course, she wrote The Choke, which I think you and I have talked about on this podcast before, which is an utterly remarkable book. It won't surprise you, Caro, that we're back in the territory of damaged children. It is a bit of a specialty of Sophie's writing, but she never, never takes it for granted and she never um, uh, diminishes the importance of children who are damaged and the impact it can have on their their lives, good and bad. In this case, with Infinite Splendours, we start off the novel with Lawrence, a 10-year-old boy who is living, um, it's the 1950s, he's living on, uh, on, a, on a farm at the foothills of the Victorian Grampians with his younger brother Paul, his mother Louise, his father has been killed during the Second World War. Um, there's not a lot of money, but they have a dairy farm. Uh, the mother also works in the local dairy down the road. And the boys have a lovely life of uh, exploring the countryside, playing a bit of sport. And Lawrence, through a, a sensitive um, and very aware teacher who is a beautiful character, um, doesn't appear much but very important, introduces Lawrence to painting and nature. And Lawrence has a particular talent for this. But um, as with uh, with Sophie Laguna's adult novels, there is this cloud, there is this menace, there is something terrible is going to happen to Lawrence. You just feel it in your bones. And one day a stranger comes to town and he ingratiates himself with uh, the family, in particular Lawrence, calls him Laurie, which um, has never happened before. He's never been called Laurie, but the mother doesn't seem to mind that so much this time. And something terrible happens. I won't go into it. But we then follow Lawrence over the next 40 years of his life. He is damaged. He is suffering. He develops a stutter. Uh, immediately, he he becomes disconnected from school and family life. It is so sad. Jane, thinking of you with um, young Huey, this is a difficult one for parents of young children to read, but it is an important novel because we need to understand further what children go through. And Sophie Laguna nails it. This, I mean, I'm almost isn't there tearing a sibling, up talking about Isn't there this. a sibling who doesn't trust this bloke? There is a sibling yep. who does not trust yep. this bloke, and that's mm. Paul, the younger brother. So it's, um, of course, what kind of saves Lawrence, if you like, uh, is his painting. And he paints and paints and paints. Uh, and there is um, a, a 
gracious and very moving outcome to this story and I won't go into that any further but I do urge people to have a read of this Infinite Splendours by Sophie Laguna and if you would like to hear Sophie, Miles Franklin award winning author, talk to me, have a chat to me. It is always such a gift, Caro, to have a fiction writer in our midst to talk about their process, their imagination, how the stories come about. It's a real gift and tomorrow night or when, well we're we're on Tuesday now, so Wednesday night, March the 3rd at 6.30. Grab your glass of wine, turn on your little screen, and you can book the link to our webinar via mybookshop.com.au and just go click, click, click into the events and away you go. And I hope to see you on Wednesday at 6.30. That sounds wonderful. You won't be there because I think you're cooking my dinner. So I actually am. I am. But you and can cook my dinner and have the screen on the kitchen bench, Caro. Well, Corrie, not only am I cooking your dinner, but I'm now going to tell you what I'm cooking you. <laughs> well, um, well, no, tell us about the screen first, can you? Oh, okay. okay. BSF, Caro, BSF. Okay. No, very good. Look, Anna from the op shop and I, as you know, have been holidaying up north and there was a lovely little local cinema in a funny old tin shed. And one particularly hot afternoon, we came off the beach just for a couple of hours. Oh, don't rub it into Victorians, please. To watch Blackbird. Now, this has not had great reviews, although David Stratton, I noticed last weekend in The Australian, gave it three and a half stars. This is a film that, look, it could have been a lot better, but it was still a wonderful small film, incredibly moving. It brought us both to the tears. Anna claimed she was crying from the word go. I was certainly crying from the Christmas dinner scene. This is a family, one of those, the classic theme, the family convening at a beautiful country, in this case, seaside destination. Which country set in? It's... It's set in America and it's meant to be somewhere along the New England coast. Um, But in fact, it is filmed, I think, somewhere on the coast of England around West Sussex or Suffolk. And it is a house owned by Kate Winslet, who stars in the film, one of her neighbours. It is worth seeing this film for the house alone. Corrie, it is the most beautiful house. It, it's modern, very, you know, Kevin Grand design. Is it as nice as um, Diane Keaton's in that movie with Jack Nicholson? It's more modern and you know, that something's got to You know exactly that, that, that wonderful. <laughs> but it's just interesting. This is meant to be in that area, but in fact it's filmed in England, even though it's set in America. The the matriarch is played by Susan Sarandon. Sarandon, Sarandon. It was meant to be Diane Keaton, but something happened over COVID and Susan Sarandon stepped in. Her husband is played by the hardest working actor around, Sam Neill. He is absolutely brilliant in it as well. The performances are unbelievable. And the two children are played by Kate Winslet, who Anna from the op shop set up when the credits rolled at the end. Who was Kate Winslet? I said, Anna was the main, was the, the daughter, the main daughter. Oh, she did look very different. Very different. <laughs> That's um, hilarious. And that beautiful Australian actress plays her damaged younger sister, Mia Wozlatsky, I think. Yeah, she's absolutely Mm -hmm. brilliant in it as well. Both of them have partners, very different partners who turn up. And the best friend is played by that wonderful English actress, Lindsay Duncan, who is in all the Stephen Collier, Polyakov um, um, specials, a series, um, blonde-haired, older woman. So without without giving too much away, why was Anna in tears from the beginning? Susan Sarandon, it becomes apparent very, very quickly, is suffering from motor neurone disease. Oh God, okay, there we go. And they're there to say goodbye. Oh, that's so sad. And Sam Neill, her husband, is a doctor 
And he can't save her. This is not a massive debate film about assisted dying, but that is obviously a major theme. It's about skeletons. It's about memories. It's about sadness. There are some funny moments as well. Um, Kate Winslet and her husband have a son, a teenage boy. He's a major part as well. It's very much an actor's piece, but the major one of the major stars is this house and the artwork. Well, it's actually the English coast, but it's meant yeah, to be the American but it's home. coast. It represents home. People say that there are a few holes. It's not like you to disagree with David. Oh, I agree with David. Uh, David was the most generous review I've read, but I would just encourage everyone to see it. Why it is called Blackbird, I do not know, but it is just a wonderfully acted piece. It's a small film. It's not particularly long, and I, despite the fact it could have been better, recommend it. Yay. Okay. And so what are you cooking me tomorrow night? Pan roasted chicken. Now, there are so many wonderful one-pot chicken Gosh, dishes Jane, going that's around. something to... Cross no the seas for, isn't it? But the other hero ingredients are long stem marinated artichokes, white anchovies, flat leaf parsley, which it's really nice if you dry fry it at the end and chuck it all over the top, but there's a lot of that. Salad onions, chicken stock, white wine. The recipe is going to be on our show notes, but it involves obviously browning the chicken, chicken Marylands, but you can do it just with chicken oh, thigh fillets. This is getting more exciting by the minute, Miss Jane. I much prefer oh, no, 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 chicken no, thigh no, fillets no, to I'm, chicken no, breasts. I'm really happy about the roast chicken for dinner. No, no, that's good. No, mm. good. Hey, listen. Don't, don't come. <laughs> <laughs> no one's twisting your arm. But no, it's you promised one... me a game of Scrabble afterwards. Yeah, no, the I'll before have roast and chicken. after. I'll before have roast and chicken after. For Scrabble. You brown the chicken. Then, of course, you add the onion, garlic, stock and wine to the pan. You simmer that. Return the chicken, skin side up. Roast it until it's golden and the garlic is tender in a really, really hot oven. You add the artichokes and roast through until heated for about about five. That takes five minutes right at the end. And you can bind separately the anchovies, parsley and lemon juice in a bowl and you spoon it over and then serve with crisp parsley. Oh, delicious. It's out of this month's Gourmet Traveller. Can't wait. Caro, I, after I have uh, had my chat the with March Sophie. The March Gourmet Traveller, sorry. After my tra- chat with Sophie Laguna, which should go probably for about 45 minutes. We love questions, by the way, gang. If you decide to join us, please ask Sophie a question. But after that, I will be hot-footing around to your place for my roast Maryland chicken. Now, that was... Uh, BSF brought to us by Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. And don't forget, call 131806 for real Aussie energy. They are a Melbourne-based team. I can vouch for that because I now have the shop and the house on Red Energy and they are incredibly helpful. They're even really lovely when they send a note if I've forgotten to pay the bill on time. So well done, guys. Love you and thanks for supporting uh, our podcast. I too am a Red Energy customer. And Corey, would you like to kick off six quick questions? I'd love to. Now the borders are open, Caro, where will you go? You've already been. Where well, are you going next time? <laughs> I've got a couple of little um, trips planned. I think I'm going over to Adelaide or to the Barossa Valley next week, which is actually um, a work situation for um, my 5AA um, dear friend Stephen Rowe. The people so, who buy you the um, Grange Hermitage for well, dinner and well, that was soften I, you up. That was when I won a bet. That was a, when I said the Tigers would you, beat Adelaide. You and this mob from the, what, five double 
What Corey, I've been on Five AA doing a, a segment every Thursday for probably about fifteen years. But anyway, that's okay. I don't expect you to know because you do, you're not I in don't Adelaide. Live in Adelaide. No, but no, that that's a that's a work thing. But I love going to Adelaide, and I'm looking forward to visiting the Barossa. But no, I think it's time to go back to Tassie. Tassie severely, sadly, dreadfully neglected again in the latest AFL Commission meeting, where they've again put on hold any decision about whether they will get their own team. They are just totally dogging this. It's a disgrace, but don't get me started. But I think it's time to go back to Hobart, Corrie. It's such a beautiful place. It is indeed. The borders are open, and that is where, if I have a trip in the next few months, where I will be going. Corrie, who won your Golden Globe Best Dressed Award? Okay, in the spirit of the Brownlow Medal, Caro, we will start with one, which is not the first, but one vote for Julia Garner, um, you know her probably from Ozark or The Assistant. She wore Prada, the Devil Wears Prada. It was a beautiful cream draped dress with black beaded waist and a really low plunging neckline down to her waist, but it had a black satin border. It was just such, it was like such a twist on the tuxedo. It was amazing. Number two, Catherine Zeta Jones. She wore black Dolce Gabbana. If there is one woman in Hollywood who can rock the side split for most of her career, it has been Catherine Zeta-Jones. It was off the shoulder. It had it flattering ruching, you know, in bits where older women probably need a bit of ruching. I was curious. I remember the Darling Buds of May when we all were introduced to Catherine Zeta-Jones as yep. a young actor. So I looked up her age and it said 51. I cannot believe she's only 51. I'm sorry, has she dropped three or four years along the way? Or well, am I being was, a bit nasty saying that? He was very young in that. She's gone through a hell of a lot, you know, with mental illness. I mean, she's been through the Oh, ringer. I'm not saying she's not a fabulous person. I just wondered whether a couple of years Yeah, dropped. no, no then, I don't think she's 51. And then, duh, drum roll. I know who you're going to say. Aussie, Australian. <laughs> Can you believe I'm about to say Nicole Kidman? Oh, no, I was going to say Margot Robbie. I thought no, her dress was a No, I thought Nicole Kidman in Louis Vuitton looked absolutely beautiful. I wish I had seen her walk the red carpet. There is a reason, can I say, apart from the paparazzi taking your photo, it is a long walk and it allows um, those of us at home and there to see a dress in full movement. Now, I would have loved to have seen this dress. High high neck, sleeveless um black, but with this extraordinary gold chain. It looked like embroidery down either side. I thought she looked absolutely wonderful. And I just wanted to give a special mention to Anya Taylor, who wore an emerald green Christian Dior, white hair, um, Anya Taylor, blonde. And as my mother used to say, blondes always look really good in emerald. It's so true. Um, I mean, I don't have any green, I don't think, in my wardrobe. But if I ever do wear something in green, it really does look great. Selma Hayek, of course, as usual. Yeah, she was my number two. But Margot Robbie, I'm amazed you've left. I thought she looked incredible. No, and- well, she was okay, but she didn't make it. And I also have oh. to say Jane Fonda in the Richard Tyler tux. She did look great with those I, I thought. I also thought heels. the two hosts looked fabulous. All their costume changes were great. But, Corrie, a few observations. What was Jamie Lee Curtis thinking? Was, oh, that's a bit mean, Caro. No, too much bosom. Was Jodie Foster wearing her pyjamas with I didn't, her partner? Probably. I didn't see Jodie I mean, Jody I was Foster. wrapped. She won. I, I haven't see seen the performance it. for which she won the award. Bit bit of religious stuff we didn't need. But I think they were what both in Olivia their PJs Coleman? with their dog. Olivia Coleman looked like she was off to see the bank manager. Well, everyone from <laughs> The Crown won an award but her. And she was very gracious, as was Nicole. But that gorgeous little girl who played... Um, 
the wonderful the wonderful actress who was nominated for News of the World, the look on her face, because normally they're in the crowd and they've had a few champers, but they're all on their TV screens trying to look gracious when someone <laughs> else has won. She looked like she was going to go home crying to her mother, and I don't believe she looked absolutely shattered. Sean Penn, what has happened? What's happened, Oh, he Sean? looked like something the cat dragged in. And Rosamund Pike, who is very, very pretty and who I just have seen, I've seen her, Oh, she won the award for um, I Care A Lot. Yeah, that's right. A movie which we also watched while we were up north. We actually watched it on the small big screen at the house we were renting. Um, she was in an amazing red sort of dress and she was seated and looking amazing. Everybody around when she won the award looked like they'd swallowed a lemon, including the host who had presented the award. I don't think Rosamond's very popular. Oh, that's an interesting observation. Be, I wonder. A very quick oh. tip, though, if you want to see a good film, what we did on our holidays with Billy Connolly, Rosamund Pike. It's absolutely brilliant. Okay. Anyway. That was back like to 300 the, quick I know, questions. but we can't um, the golden It's all globe. about you. So we're on to you again. What's your favourite Fleetwood Mac song and why am I asking you this question? Because last week I went to a Fleetwood Mac Stevie Nicks tribute show at the oh. Gamba Bolo. And that's a, it's the you know new I thing. went when I went to a Melbourne University ball once. Come as your hero. I went as um, Stevie Nicks. People said I looked really like her. Well, the girl who played Stevie had about four costumes. Except for my changes. nose, which fell off because of the <laughs> cocaine use. Yeah, it had to be rebuilt. Yeah. Look, I, I know she's had a few issues, but I had forgotten she even sang gold. Can you sing me a few bars? It's some um, California I'm girls. Get it I'm not going to sing. Jane one day. California girls are the greatest in the world. Each one a song in the making. You know that Jane, one. Jane, would you like to sing a few bars of that? No, Jane, Jane would not. No, look, I'm Jane's sorry. Too young. In the end, and I know there've been a lot of covers to a lot of Fleetwood Mac songs, but Rhiannon is just the most beautiful song. Gee, it's a beautiful song. The tribute show went off. It was the biggest night we had on our holiday. And I know it's daggy, but, you know, something about tribute bands. And this tribute act is based on the Gold Coast. There are three Stevies and two Christine McPhees. The Christine McPhee we had was a girl called Chrissy. She was unbelievable, played the flute, played the piano, sang beautifully. Anyway, just saying. Corrie, speaking of singing stars. Lady Gaga had her two French bulldogs stolen last week. Gustave and Koji have yeah. been returned. Thank which, God for that, Caro. But which dog story tickled your fancy this week? Well, I was sort of a bit worried about Lady Gaga's dogs, but I was more concerned about Ted Cruz's dog, incidentally, whose name is so Snowflake, given that Texas was in the middle of a freak weather storm. It seemed quite appropriate that the poodle's name is Snowflake. But the Republican senator and wannabe president, as we know, fled the Texas coal blast, um, a weather weather phenomenon that, of course, caused death and devastation and lost power, burst water pipes and general community mayhem. Ted and his family decided to go to Cancun in Mexico. And then, of course, he had to hot foot back because that wasn't a good look. But one reporter rocked up to the cruise home, which is apparently in a rather beautiful um, upmarket neighbourhood called River Oaks in Houston. And there at the window was Snowflake looking out the, looking forlorn. Oh, no. So the reporter turned to the security guard at the gate and said, the dog's locked inside and Ted Cruz and the family are in Cancun. What on earth? And the security guard said, rest easy. I'm looking after Snowflake this weekend. Oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> it wasn't a Home Alone situation. <laughs> a good security guard will do that, Caro. That is. Can you very believe funny. it's called Snowflake? Can you believe the family left it? Like on so many levels, that was just well, a bizarre no, not story. A lot of people leave their dogs at home with a dog sitter. That's absolutely fine. Caro, what's your favourite public holiday? Oh well, I love any public holiday except Australia Day, as you know, Corrie. But I do love Labor Day in Victoria. Let's get together and have fun. No, well, Moomba. oh yeah, Moomba, yeah, true. The original Indigenous definition they Moomba. tried to tell it's us. It's on, it's off, it's on. You know, I mean, I can't keep up with Moomba this year. But look, like many public holidays, it is a subject of debate, like all Australian public holidays, because of course the one we have is different to all the other Labor Days around the country, which seems ridiculous to me. But um, this is the the triple eight, isn't it? The eight hours of work play. It's always beautiful weather touching wood for the forthcoming Labor Day. It's always, for me, the last sort of hurrah before the start of the football season. Um, it's it's the start of autumn and everything is looking absolutely beautiful. There's always wonderful mm, produce can't, in can't the garden. can't share your joy with that one, Caro. You don't like Labor Day? No, no, no. I can't share your joy about the start of autumn being fun. You oh, know, like I You've love had some sunshine. Of some of us have not had. Anyway, well, you'll, you'll get a good weekend this weekend, don't you worry. So that's mine. Now, Corrie, speaking of weird questions, how does one achieve a model face? Caro, this has been coming onto my Instagram account a bit into the feeds, which makes me wonder whether I've said out loud the words, I would like to look like a model or a twisted Sanshu face. I'm not sure what I've said that this is coming into my feed, but Siri, get off my case. Anyway, I want you to do this with me, okay? Smile with your eyes, Okay. No, no, no. no sorry, sorry, smile. Sorry, sorry. I'll start again. Smile without using your eyes. <laughs> That's so fake. That's we're, great. Well, now, we're used to that. No, no don't talk. Don't masks. talk. Don't talk. Okay. Smile without using your eyes. Raise your eyebrows. You're not smiling. Smile, but don't use your eyes. Raise your eyebrows. Now stop smiling. That's <laughs> That's your model face. Like a freak. <laughs> Darl, you won't be on the cover of Vogue so when with that you're one. posing for photographs, take me through the three steps again. Smile without using your eyes. Then raise your eyebrows and then stop smiling. <laughs> you look like a stunned mullet. <laughs> That's the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard. Oh, come on. Practice it. It really what works. Way, what a way to end this very highbrow conversation. Honestly, there was a 10-year-old girl who did it on Instagram the other day. I know you think I have an obsession with social media, but I couldn't get off this topic. But she was 10 and she did it. She had quite a pretty little face. But the minute she stopped the smile with the raised eyebrows, then she pranced around the house like a runway model. Swear to God, it was Kate Moss. I swear to God. Get these children off social media, I say. Well, Corrie, it was wonderful to see you again. I think you've done a real disservice to Margot Robbie, but I'll get over it. Um, Thank you, of course, to Red Energy, our podcast supporter, 100% Australian Electricity and Gas and Prince Wine Store, of course. And thank you, Miles, for joining us on the Cocktail Cabinet today. Get onto that website, folks, and buy that beautiful Balcom gin with the free coastal, uh, sorry, light strange love tonic thrown in. Uh, apologies, the quick questions weren't quick today, but we haven't seen each other for a couple of so weeks. Much so much to discuss. We're very overexcited. You can connect with us via Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And if you want to get our show notes via our weekly EDM, what does EDM stand for? 
Electronic, electronic distribution, distribution something mail, I think. Oh, I'll, I'll ask one of my millennials. Miss Jane, family. you've known me long enough to know I loathe acronyms. Anyway, Miss Jane has brought us the most beautiful bouquet today from her new stunning. Yeah, Jane, you haven't been pinching flowers from around the burbs. No more stealing oh, for Jane. She's, she's got, got her, her own garden. She's got her own <laughs> stunning country garden. Please send us an email and we'll subscribe you to said pre said EDM. Or you can hit the link in our show notes for that wonderful chicken recipe that Corrie's going to enjoy tomorrow. Email us at feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. And Corrie? Don't shoot the messenger, Caro. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Prince Wine Store, bringing Melburnians the greatest wine in the world, delivering Australia-wide. PrinceWineStore.com.au And thanks to Red Energy, 100% Australian electricity and gas.